Welcome to What's Up Tybee. I'm Sandy McLeod. Our guest today works at one of the island's most treasured assets, the Tybee Marine Science Center. Her name is Chantal Audron, and by the time many of you hear this, she will officially be the center's new director. Chantal says she fell in love with marine science as a youngster, and her unique childhood gave her special skills, which make her perfect for heading up a facility that focuses on making visitors feel welcome and teaching them all about the special creatures that call Tybee home. I grew up in nine different states, and so I was very lucky to move around with my family who were in the hospitality industry. So I grew up in hotels with um, pay-per-view and rec centers, and so all over the United States. I started in California, and then Oklahoma, and Florida all over, the D.C. area, Indiana, and then I went to school in Chicago. One of my very first jobs at just 14, was teaching sea camp. had a best friend and her father. He was a scientist, a marine biologist at Woods Hole. Woods Hole's in Massachusetts in Cape Cod, and it's one of the most prestigious laboratories. And so here I got to teach sea camp when I was younger. And then when we turned 16, we got to help in the lab to a certain degree, which was taking out squid eyeballs. Um, for research. And so we would fish them out of the stock tanks at the lab, and then we would cut out their optic lobes behind their eye, and we would freeze them in nitrogen. And we got paid a quarter per eyeball that we got pulled. And it went to really important research because squid have one of the largest eye to body ratios in the animal kingdom. And so they have huge eyes that is very similar to our eye. So it's a great model as far as this research is concerned. So yeah, I was addicted. Chantal's experience in that lab were life-changing and gave her clarity on what she was going to do with her life. I remember the smell of that lab. (laughs) It was like briny and then like coffee. (laughs) And all of the scientists were different from what I understood a scientist to be. They were all wearing shorts and sandals and like Bermuda shirts. And so I was addicted. I loved it immediately. I wanted to be that animal that I had just witnessed, that scientific marine biologist. I wanted to be that And so I went to school for biology and undergraduate. And so marine science was my concentration and chemistry. So I love it. I loved it always. I grew up with the ocean and a family that loved the ocean. And so I got to go to the beach a lot. It's very lucky to be in the lab at such a young age. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so when my family moved back to the coast away from Indiana and D.C., We came to Georgia, and so Savannah, Georgia is where they ended up, and I followed them after school. So I was landlocked, and I haven't been landlocked since. (laughs) And so this is home. This is kind of the longest place I've ever lived. I'm very happy to be in the community at Tybee. After graduating with a degree in biology with a focus on marine science, Chantal was lucky enough to get a job close to home and start her career. I'd previously worked at at Skidaway at the University of Georgia Marine Extension as a volunteer educator. And so with their interns, I got to teach all of the sea camp that came through. So summer camps are a really big deal out there. And so I got a lot of 
incredible experience and got to have an awesome mentor and Ann Lindsay, who is the director out there. And when I came to the Science Center, I was our lead educator. And so I hadn't been out of school very long, and um, I just wanted to teach. I wanted to share everything that I learned. From an early age, I had a passion to kind of give away the information in my head <laughs> that I had spent a long time locking it in, but it was my duty to kind of be like, listen to this awesome thing I learned in class. And so it's um, definitely a passion. So I was our senior educator. I helped write all of our curriculum. I was our senior educator for about six years and then became our curator. A curator in an art museum is very different from a curator in a aquarium or a nature center. So what it means in our field is this is the person in the house that takes care of all of the exhibits, the tank systems are the majority of the exhibits in this kind of a nature center. And so I make sure all of the life support systems were running. I got to design all of the life support systems for this new place and um, keeping all of the water moving and clean and the animals happy and alive. That's the job of the curator. I asked Chantal why she thinks the Science Center is an important facility for the residents on our island. It's so important to residents because what we do is brag on your home all day long. We talk about the beauty of coastal Georgia. You have to understand how enchanted people from out of town are when they come here. And we get to interpret that beauty to them and the science. And so for the local, we're your voice of this beautiful place that you live in. We love to share the beauty. You love sea turtles. We love sea turtles. That's why we went to school to study them. And so what a great job that I get to come to every day and like talk about how awesome sea turtles are, how awesome coastal Georgia is, how much more marsh we have than other states. Like we're a big deal, coastal Georgia. So so the benefit we give is that, you know, there are 14 barrier islands on our coastline. We are awesome in our conservation, Georgia, that you don't access these islands. You know, only four of them you can drive to. We're one of those. So we have a grand responsibility to speak for the entire barrier islands. We're also outside of Savannah. So that is a huge tourist destination. So we are important for the interpretation of coastal Georgia, for the ecology, for education. You have to know what to protect before you can protect it, right? So we're their access. You can learn a lot in the beauty and know you like something as you drive over the causeway, but once you get here, we're the person to tell you why you care. Our residents know that, and so we are their voice. We're very proud of that. Besides providing education, the goal of the Marine Science Center is to reach people on an emotional level, too, so that they will understand and appreciate the importance of protecting the coast and the sea creatures that live there. We've given the city of Tybee, and the city of Tybee has given us an enormous gift in this building. And so the reach of our education that we'll be able to have is immense. The amount of stewardship in our mission, we say we want to create stewards. And so Tybee will get that recognition of being this really avant-garde educational island. We have two science facilities on the island. I mean, that shows me that the city cares about having 
education be a big part of it. You can do signage all day long, but you have to come in and touch a sand dollar or a sea star with us. You have to understand why you care to not remove it. You know, we run all of those initiatives on the beach and the code enforcement for removing sand dollars off the beach. And I know every local that I know on this island is as passionate as I am about the life on the beach and in the marsh. And so we are here to protect it. What we do is also deliver the state with an enormous amount of data, data on sea turtles, data on diamondback terrapins. We are locally adding to the research in our area in addition to creating stewards, future humans that want to protect this beautiful place. Chantal says educating the public is important, but public policies that are set by our local lawmakers are critical to protecting the beach and wildlife. She says being in the marine science field gives them an upfront seat to see the impact that people and their habits have made. She says when our lawmakers make policies, like keeping cigarettes and pets off the beach, it makes a huge difference. We're going to be the biggest proponents of it because we see the effects of it every day. I dissect the sea turtle that is stranded on the beach that does have marine debris in its stomach. This is not fake. This is real stuff that's happening and its impression on the animal. Not only are we having this huge responsibility to be the leaders, Tybee, that is, we have to lead by example, right? We're one of these barrier islands that people can come to. So we are representative of the entire Georgia coast. What Georgia is famous for is that we don't have developed beaches. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. We have protected our land. So to other states, we're like this enigma. <laughs> How did Georgia do that? How did they keep all of their islands private? And it's because of conservation. It's because people cared because it was so beautiful. So I love that when you come to Tybee, it's a different experience than if you go to Fort Lauderdale, if you go to Captiva Island, if you go even to the Jersey Shore, it's so very different. It is what we teach every day, pristine in nature. We don't know what that looks like in 2022 anymore to go to an island that's not touched by a human. That's hard for us to think about. So why not continue to keep us wild? And guess what isn't there when you're wild? Dogs. <laughs> That's not a normal thing for a beach, right? A beach environment. Um, they scare nesting birds. They scare sea turtles. It's definitely um, not something to keep us wild. I am proud to boast that Tybee is wild, that Georgia is wild. We're pristine in nature. We're a perfect place for marine biological studies. And the moment we start to bring our cigarettes out there and our dogs out there, it, it changes the topography. It changes the feeling. It changes so much on the beach because we're altering it. And so any practice that we can do to stay as wild as possible is our goal. I think it's a, a responsibility of the island to be avant-garde in that way and to be a little forward-thinking and we don't want to be like those other beach communities. Tybee is different and awesome, and, and we shouldn't want to be like a Hilton Head. You know, we're really unique, and I want us to stay unique and wild. And I think we do that by demanding those ordinances stay in. In spite of the many things we have fallen short on accomplishing, there are a lot of success stories on how our community has worked toward protecting our beach and the wildlife that share it with us. 
Tybee is a force. I have had people from out of state in my fields say how proud they are of the Georgia coast and its wildness. We've always had a harder time on Tybee because of the tourism and more humans. It's really fun to look at pictures. My former president, Kathy Sackis, who is an enormous mentor, she showed me a picture of the location of our current science center on North Beach in the 70s. And there was not a dune system. And so the water could come all the way up to what the parking lot is now. Wildness and the reestablishing of the dune system on Tybee is an incredibly successful project. And so we teach how Tybee reestablished their dunes. We hear from other researchers out of state that we have a climate change action plan. Tybee is really avant-garde. We are really into the agents of change. Yeah, I definitely have seen a positive change. My first year here, we had about five sea turtle nests a season. We had a record-breaking year last year. We're going over 30 nests a season now, so that's an incredible change. Besides offering local kids a lot of classroom and hands-on experience with sea life, our Science Center gives incredibly helpful information to the state about how human behavior impacts wildlife. And since the Marine Science Center is usually the first call people make when they find an injured or deceased sea animal on the beach, Chantal has seen some amazing creatures. One of the coolest, most prehistoric fish that I ever got washed up was a sturgeon. Sturgeon are incredible, and they're a prehistoric fish in our source of caviar. And we have them in, in freshwater river systems from the St. John's River in New York to the St. John's in Florida, and they're a massive fish. Their mouth looks like a vacuum hose. And so it was a prehistoric kind of dinosaur, longer than I was. I'm not very tall, but it was probably a six-foot-long fish. And it had just washed up, and it had been tagged, and it came from the Tennessee Aquarium. And so hundreds of sea turtles over my career, and we've had um, dolphin on the beach, of course. And we had a sperm whale one year. That was a really cool experience. To see an animal that you teach about all the time is a gift. It's an enormous thing. To be able to dissect something like a leatherback sea turtle It's one of my most memorable. It was almost um, reverent uh, kind of dissection for me because they're a massive animal. And so for the state, we'll give them preliminary data to help determine the cause of death because when you can determine the cause of death of an endangered animal and it is found to be human interaction, we can change policy in the state to help prevent that from happening, whether it's a quick release on a crab pot or changing of shipping lanes so that there's less boat strikes. That kind of stuff is, is really important to me to, to give to the state. Tybee is really offering an enormous amount of data, so I'm really proud of that. But the leatherback and the sturgeon and the sperm whale are probably three of my favorite experiences on the beach. At the moment, the center has a number of sea creatures residing there full-time, including two sea turtles. Ike is our resident loggerhead sea turtle. We also have our new baby sea turtle named Westy in-house. And so these are loggerhead sea turtles that are stragglers. They would not have gotten out of the nest if it hadn't been on a great island like Tybee or Westy Asaba. What we do through the state is we have a sea turtle cooperative on each of our islands. This team of volunteers 
could help document all of these nests coming in. And then five days after it naturally hatches, we go in and inventory the nest, determine the nest statistics, right? How well the nest did. And uh, oftentimes after five days that their brother and sister have gotten out, we'll find stragglers left behind. So our marine debris ambassadors, which is what we call our loggerhead sea turtle residents, come to us in that fashion. They're all stragglers. We only had one that wasn't that same story, and that was Admiral. Admiral was found in a garbage can at the Admiral Inn. Ike and Westy and our educators, by them being in captivity for this first very short period of their long life, they teach thousands of adults and students. You know, we get 86,000 kids through this building. And that's a great impression that they can carry with them a stewardship for sea turtles after they've met an individual sea turtle. It's the same kind of concept of you have to know what it is to protect to protect it. You have to love it first. And so we give them that access while they're here. When the sea turtles are old enough, they are released back into the wild. And Ike's release next year is going to be very special. What we really hope to do with Ike, because he is sponsored by IKEA, we want to give him a radio transmitter tag so that we can follow Ike after his release. We always tag with pit tags and flipper tags, but you have to be with that individual turtle to scan those tags or to read off a serial number on them. Uh, what the transmitter allows us is real-time data. So every time that turtle takes a breath of air, the transmitter on his shell will ping off of a buoy and tell us his exact GPS location. So we'll hope to do that big push. It'll be the first time for us to tag a sea turtle in this way. And then Westy will move down to Ike's tank after he's released. He'll get that kind of huge 4,000-gallon tank all to himself with some fish, and then he'll grow to three years. So our rotation is three years right now. They're in captivity just that long, and they live 50 to 100 years, and what we do is give them a huge head start in life. In truth, they're the size of a, a potato chip when they're just coming out of the nest, and everyone wants to eat them. And so getting them to the larger size kind of 100% ensures their survival. They don't have many predators at that point when we're releasing them at three years at a larger size. I asked her the most common question they get at the center. How do those sea turtles know what to do and how to survive after living their whole lives in captivity? We are mammals with big old brains, um, a frontal cortex that gives us emotions, it gives us memories. Turtles don't have it. They don't have that part of the brain that we do, and so they're such a different species than us. There are in biology an R species and a K species, and we separate them because of the differences in their brain, the differences of how they care for their young, the difference of how many eggs or how many offspring they have at a time. We separate them because a sea turtle doesn't have a brain like we do, so Unfortunately, those seven sea turtles I've raised and released aren't going to ever remember me, and they don't care about me, and, and that's okay. I was stimulation. I was the thing with food, <laughs> and that makes me happy. You know, instead, their brain is instinctual. It is written on their DNA what to do because they're that species that's not raised by their mom. We're raised by our mom. Our mom teaches us everything to do. 
in our family. And so we're learned behavior. There's this instinctual. So he simply knows exactly what to do from the day he's born. They're an incredible species. And so they're very vulnerable when they're that potato chip size, like we were talking about, but then incredible resilience. They use the magnetic fields to move through the ocean. It's not cognitive thought like, Hmm, should I go over here or should I go over there? The thought process isn't the same. Instead, it's like crab. It's more of like a they are very easily distracted by stimulation, and so they're very food-motivated, and so they'll be swimming around and being pulled by the magnetic fields, and they're going to be snacking on crabs and jellyfish along the way. So I rest easy releasing these animals even after three years of captivity because, you know, the first time I feed one of my resident sea turtles a blue crab, I'm terrified. Blue crabs hurt me when they pinch, and I'm to keep that animal safe. The beauty of knowing that they've got it, and I'm not a part of their equation, is that when I throw that blue crab in for the first time, their entire demeanor changes, their adrenaline is up, and what they do is they dive down quickly and bite off both of those claws before anything and then eat him whole. (laughs) They know exactly what to do. Thank you so much to Chantal Audron with the Tybee Marine Science Center for taking time to share with us today. We didn't have time enough to go into the other beautiful resident creatures like Charlie the box turtle, one of my favorites, and Maze the corn snake, and others, so you're going to have to just go see for yourself. It's a fantastic center that we should be grateful and proud to have on this island. So please join the center. It's very cheap and you get a lot of benefits. Also, you can volunteer. They have lots of opportunities available. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have things you'd like to hear on this show, please let me know. I'm Sandy McLeod, and thanks for listening to What's Up Tybee.